On Tuesday of this past week, Ivan Provorov made national news by not participating in his team's warm-ups. Ivan Provorov, Provy as his uh, coach and teammates call him, is a defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers. He's played six seasons in the National Hockey League, but the most attention I think that he's received in his career has been for this past week and his actions or inactions. So how did he make national news by not participating in his team's warm-ups? Well, as reported by ESPN, quote, Provorov did not take the pre-game, pre-game skate Tuesday night because he refused to wear the team's LGBTQ plus Pride Night warm-up jersey or use a stick with rainbow tape citing his religious beliefs. The article went on to say, uh, you can play the NHL's longtime social activism partner, wants to work with the Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov after he, quote, negatively impacted Pride Night by boycotting warm-ups. In other words, the NHL's longtime social activism partner would like to re-educate Provorov on same-sex relationships. But what if Provorov is right? What if it is actually not a matter of misunderstanding the nature of relationships, but actually a proper understanding of human nature, of who should be in relationships, and God's design? What if, it is, what if what's actually going on in such expressions, in the affirming of relationships between members of the same sex, what if the world is calling what is evil good? What if Ivan Provorov is the one who actually sees things clearly, even if he's the only one who sees things clearly? The chief operating officer of the NHL's social activism partner also said this, we're going to have individuals that don't want to hop on board the team. That's unfortunate. But I'd say 13 years ago, we might have had three people wearing pride jerseys. Now we have one not wearing them. We have to acknowledge The progress, he said. Progress, yes. But in what direction? Toward deliverance or toward destruction? Beloved, this morning we come upon one of the Bible's clearest texts on the sexual immorality of unnatural relations between members of the same sex. And as we come to consider God's words together this morning, we must purpose to side with our Maker to side with our Savior, and to take His word against the world's. As we see the sins and the salvation of others, we should see our own sins and seek the salvation that's only available in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to open up your Bibles, to turn in your Bibles to God's inerrant, inspired word in Genesis 19. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage, I believe, beginning on page 13. As you're turning there, let's remember the context in which our study comes. The book of Genesis is about the beginning of God's people in many ways. God made the world and everything in it. He made man in his image to love and honor and serve him. But man has rejected God, rebelled against God, deciding to live his own way rather than God's way. And yet in the face of that rebellion, God has shown mercy. He has promised that he's going to send a son to rescue man. From depravity, disease, decay, and death. God is going to send His Son. 
And as we're learning in the narrative of Genesis, God's son is going to come through Abraham's son. The focus of the narrative is focused in on Abraham. And we're learning that there's a special offspring who's going to come down the line. Now, Abraham's first son hasn't come yet. But we're learning what that son will be like as we see Abraham being a blessing to the nations. And one of the ways that Abraham blesses others is by praying for their preservation and their protection from the wrath to come. So last week we looked at Genesis chapter 18 where Abraham pled with God not to sweep away the righteous along with the wicked when God came to judge Sodom. And Genesis 19 is the working out of what we were seeing that lead up to. We're working out God's justice and mercy. Judgment falls on Sodom and the surrounding cities, but Lot is delivered from destruction. Lot is Abraham's nephew. And the message of Genesis 19 for us is that while God's judgment is just, His mercy is available to us. And that should make a difference in the lives of those delivered from destruction. Beloved, here's the sermon in a sentence. The mercy of the Lord secures your deliverance from destruction and should make a difference in your devotion. The mercy of the Lord secures your deliverance from destruction and should make a difference in your devotion. We're going to unpack Genesis 19 under three headings. The first is that God's judgment is just. We'll see that in verses 1 to 13. Second, we'll see that God's mercy is available through a mediator. We'll see that in verses uh, 14 to 29. And third, God's deliverance should make a difference. We'll see that in Genesis 19, beginning of verse 30 to the end of the chapter. I believe there's an outline provided in your bulletin. Let me encourage you to follow that along, but also to follow along as we begin reading our text together this morning. First, we're looking at God's judgment being just. Read Genesis 19, verses 1 to 13. Follow along as I read. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will not spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly so that they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. 
Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord Yahweh. And the Lord Yahweh has sent us to destroy it. Well, in these verses, we see Lot's hospitality. We see the city's hostility. And the angels help to Lot in warning him of the destruction to come. We read in verse 1 that the two angels came to Sodom the evening. We're recognizing that this is picking up where Genesis 18 left off. Abraham had set these men kind of on their way, and now they've arrived at the city. Moses has been telegraphing for us what is going to happen. Six chapters earlier, he told us that Sodom was a place that the Lord was going to destroy. So in Genesis 13, 10, we were told that this was before the events of that chapter, when Abraham and Lot went their separate ways. That was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Three verses later in that same chapter, Genesis 13, we're told that the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Moses has been preparing us to expect Sodom's judgment in the previous chapters, just like he prepared us for the world's judgment in the chapters leading up to the flood. Abraham, chapter 18, has prayed for the preservation of the righteous, and when the Angels arrive to town. We see Lot actually treating them a lot like Abraham did. Lot is very hospitable. Like Abraham, he rises to meet them. He bows down before them, identifies himself as a servant, offers to wash their feet, prepares a feast, provides fresh-baked bread. We see here that Lot also presses these men strongly to stay with him, probably because he knew that they would be accosted by the men of the city. Lot knew that city. We've seen a progression with Lot. In Genesis 13, we were told that he moved toward Sodom. In Genesis 14, we told that he lived in Sodom. And now we see him at the gate of Sodom. Those in the ancient world who sat in the gates were the movers and shakers and decision makers of the city. And there is Lot, drinking in everything that that city has to offer. All of the prestige. And then night falls. Did you notice that depravity loves the darkness? The physical darkness. Night falls, the stars come out, so do the men of Sodom, all of them. Do you notice how strongly Moses put it there in verse 4? Trying to emphasize that everyone was there. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, to all the categories. And all the people to the last man surround the house. In every conceivable way, Moses is trying to say that all the men of the city are there. And they all want the same thing. They want to lie with these men as with a woman. That's what they mean when they say there at the end of verse 5. Bring them out to us that we may know them. Knowing in the Bible often has connotations of sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. So for example, in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 we read that now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. The men of the city, all of them want to lie with these angelic men as with a woman. As a gang, they want to abuse these men. Beware that there is deceit in their description of what they want to do. There is deceit in the description of what they want to do. As a faithful brother pointed out to me, they describe their desires in the language of marital intimacy, of knowing 
But what they actually want to do is abuse another man's body. A man cannot know another man as a husband can know his wife. Nor can a woman know another woman as a wife can know her husband. The only thing that those of a same-sex relationship can do in such a physical encounter is dishonor and abuse the body of another. In verse 7, Lot goes out to meet them. And he keeps his guests safe by closing the door behind him. Not only that, but he pleads with the men of the city not to act so wickedly. Notice that Lot uses that word wicked. What they want to do is evil. Lot is making a moral judgment on the men's desires for sodomy. And Lot's judgment is in line with the Lord's judgment. So later in the law, we'll read in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Why is a man lying with another man as with a woman depraved? Why is sodomy depraved? Because it is contrary to God's design and contrary to God's decree, God's law. Beloved, we may not want to think about this, but you need to understand that sodomy, a man lying with another man as with a woman, is contrary to God's design. It is dishonorable, contrary to nature, shameless and unnatural. That's what Paul says about it in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Our culture says love is love, but that is not what God says. And let God be true in every other man a liar. You do not impart life where the body excretes death. And if that imagery is disgusting to you, then you are having a right response to it. Moreover, though the act may be consensual between men, that doesn't make it right or righteous. We do not personally get to define what is right or righteous. The maker of heaven and earth does. The creator of all things does. The body, in such an engagement, is still being used and abused in an unnatural and wicked way. And the world and the flesh and the devil will endeavor to lessen the offensiveness of the sin of sodomy. They will promote it with pride, and you must not give in. Do not be deceived. The spirit of Sodom is alive and well today, and you must side with the Lord. You must call sodomy what Lot calls it in verse 7, wicked. Because of his attachment to Abraham, and because of his agreement with God on sin, the Bible refers to Lot as a righteous man. He was a believer in God. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 tells us that Lot's righteous soul was tormented day by day by living in Sodom. And that was the foolish choice that he made. He saw and heard their lawless deeds. Though Lot was righteous in the sight of God, though he rightly saw what was wicked in God's sight, he was still deeply fallen and flawed. He too was guilty of sin, and he too was deserving in judgment. And while you must call sodomy what Lot calls it in verse 7, wicked, you must also call what Lot offers in verse 8, wicked. It is wicked. Shamefully, Lot offers his daughters to be sexually abused and exploited by these men. Now, some liberal commentators and scholars will want to say that the real sin of Sodom was inhospitality. 
But that argument is totally bogus. The sin of Sodom was the desire for the men of the city to lie with other men as with a woman. And that is confirmed here by Lot's counteroffer of offering his daughters. Lot isn't offering his daughters to the men of the city for a casual conversation and a cup of coffee. No, he is offering this angry mob his daughters for sexual exploitation and abuse. This is wicked. And one wrong is not solved by another. The wrong of unnatural relations is not solved by the sinful pursuit of natural relations. As Matthew Henry said, it is true, of two evils we must choose the less, but of two sins we must choose neither, nor ever do evil that good may come of it. What the men wanted was wicked, and what Lot offered was wicked. Both are wicked, and we must not be silent about either. And beloved, we need to recognize that we are those deserving of such judgment. Think of who God saves. He saves men like this. Men like the men of Sodom. Men like Lot. I mean, just think of Paul's description in 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. That includes both the active and the passive partner. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says what? And such were some of you. Beloved, we are the sexual sinners in Genesis 19.2. We deserve God's wrath too. And God rescues us in His mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. In Jesus we are washed. In Jesus we are sanctified. In Jesus we are justified and forgiven. Our hope is only in Jesus. So while we see the wickedness laid out here and the just judgment that's deserved here, we recognize that we deserve the same and that our only hope is in Christ. And having been delivered, we still have to be honest about sin in the world. All of this is relevant to us as we see God's perspective. We're going to have to share that with the world. You're going to encounter relationships in your life, whether they be in your immediate or extended family, friends in the workplace, or neighbors down your street who are struggling with these sins. You may even be asked to affirm them. As you encounter these friendships and relationships, as the Lord provides you opportunities to engage those made in the image of God, you will need to be kind and clear. Not only of God's judgment on such sin, but also of the forgiveness available in Jesus Christ. When you do, there will likely be different responses. Repentance, rejection, reviling. Reviling is what we see there in verse 9, isn't it? In verse 9, the men of the city are offended by Lot's moral judgment. If you tell the truth about sin, the world will accuse you of sitting in judgment upon them. Who made you the judge? Who gave you the right to be judge? But the truth is, is the Lord is the judge. And Lot is merely offering or announcing his judgment. Christian, you need to recognize that you are merely, in that kind of conversation, you are merely a proxy for the war that the unbelieving world has with the Lord. You should bear the reproach of the world gladly. And you should not be cowed by cruelty or name-calling. Name-calling is not an engagement of the actual issue. And that should tell you something. Even so, the safest place that you can stand is on the side of the Lord. It's on the side of the sovereign. 
having been offended by Lot's moral judgment, the men of the city, they go on the offense, don't they? Try to break down the door. And in verse 10, the angels, they intervene. They bring Lot in and strike the men of the city with blindness. This judgment of blindness is a precursor to the judgment of brimstone. What is sobering is that though the men of the city have been struck with blindness as an act of judgment, they do not stop pursuing their sin. They wear themselves out. You see that they wear themselves out, groping for the door. Let us all be warned by the pull and the power of sin. If you are denied your sin, that is a kindness from the Lord. Do not keep going. Do not try to find another way in. Stop and give thanks to God for His kindness for stopping you. Instead, seek the Lord and plead with Him to break the power of sin's pull and passion in your heart. In verse 12, you notice the scene kind of moves inside where the angels direct Lot to get his entire family out of town. And they tell him why there in verse 13. The outcry of the city's depravity is great, and so the Lord will destroy the city. Let us be clear. Though Sodom may have been guilty of other sins, the prophets record some of the other ones, the sin which precipitated its destruction, confirmed its wickedness, and came to God's ears was the pursuit of unnatural relations. The New Testament letter of Jude makes this unambiguously clear. Jude 7, we read, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. The angel's speech here in verses 12 and 13 serves to underscore that God's judgment upon Sodom is just. God's judgment for its sexual immorality and Unnatural desire, to use the language of Jude 7, is just. Beloved, God's judgment on our sin is just. Let us all remember the hope of 1 Corinthians 6, that such were some of you. If we are to escape, we must make our way to the mediator, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can rescue us from God's judgment. And we see That God's mercy, His rescue from judgment is available through a mediator. That's what we see in verses 14 to 29. God's judgment, it rains down on Sodom. But God's mercy shines on Lot and his two daughters. Because he remembers the mediator. He remembers Abraham. Follow along as I read Genesis chapter 19, verses 14 to 29. This is our second point. Beginning there in verse 14. So... Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, they were likely engaged, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place. The Lord Yahweh is about to destroy the city. But he seems to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord Yahweh being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, 
Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me, and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord Yahweh out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord Yahweh. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Verse 14 opens with Lot obeying the angel's instruction. He pleads with his family to escape the wrath that is to come, but they believe that Lot's joking. When you tell people about God's wrath, this will be a common response. Maybe they don't laugh out loud, but in their heart they might think you're a comedian. They might think that surely he can't be saying what he is saying. But be assured, the Lord's judgment is certain. Acts chapter 17 verse 31 tells us that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Beloved, the day of judgment is fixed. It's not going to move. God has marked it in the calendar. It is coming. The course cannot be altered now. The coming judge has even been identified. We may be assured that judgment will come, the scriptures tell us, because God has raised the judge from the dead. As Thomas Watson once said, he who had a purple robe put on him in derision shall come in his judge's robes. He who hung upon the cross shall sit upon the bench. In love, Lot proclaimed the certainty and the coming of God's judgment. And they laughed at him. In love, you might proclaim the judgment of God, and others might laugh at you. But do not let the world's laughter lull you into lingering. Did you see that in verse 16? The words that make you shudder. The angels are urging Lot to take his family and get out of town. Judgment is looming. He might be swept away with it, with the world. And that phrase, being swept away, it's picking up on Abraham's prayer. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 23, when he asked Lot, will you indeed sweep away the righteous along with the wicked? 
We're being reminded that Abraham served as a mediator, interceding for Lot's deliverance. And the Lord was promising to do what he just, what he said he would do. But think of what's going on. Angels are pleading. Judgment is looming. And Lot is lingering. The love of the world in Lot's heart was stronger than he realized. The love of the world in your heart is likely stronger than you realize. When Lot first made his choice of a place to live, he was just living near there. And then there was that progression. He moved into the city. And then he began to enjoy all of the benefits of the city. And being the man in the city. The longer he lived in Sodom, the stronger its magnetic pull had on him. It's no surprise he lingers. Don't compromise and make alliances with the world. For a lot they led to lingering. Give thought to where you live. Can you live near other believers who would help you on in holiness? Get together with them when you can. When you have a choice between jobs, consider which job would help you cultivate and propagate your spiritual interest in Christ. Be mindful of the ways that you mix company and who you develop relationships with in the world. It is not for no reason that the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. Friendship with the world tends toward corruption. In the end, what members of the world willingly came out with Sodom. Name them. Which ones willingly said, yes, I'll, I'll go with you. None. In 1877, a bishop of the Church of England expressed his fear that he lived in a day when a lingering lot-like Christianity flourished. Nearly 150 years later, I wonder if you think that that's true of our day. I mean, what this bishop wanted is what we should all want. He said he wanted us to walk closely with God, to be really spiritually minded, to behave like strangers and pilgrims, to be distinct from the world in employment of time, in conversation, in amusement, in dress, to bear a faithful witness for Christ in all places, to leave a savor of our master in every society, to be prayerful, humble, unselfish, good-tempered, quiet, easily pleased, charitable, patient, meek, to be jealously afraid of all manner of sin. Are you jealously afraid of all manner of sin? Are you, as he said next, are you tremblingly alive to the danger of the world? Do you recognize that to live here is to live in a dangerous place? He said to his congregation, I charge you and exhort you by all your hopes of heaven and desires of glory, if you would be happy, if you would be useful, do not be a lingering soul. In fact, the only reason that Lot and his family escape is because the angels grabbed them by the hands and brought them out of the city. Lot's love for the world was overcome by the Lord's love for him. Praise God that he overcomes our love for the world. You see that in verse 16? So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand of the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought them, him out and set them outside the city. You only escape the wrath of God because of the mercy of God. Your love for the world is overcome by the Lord's loving kindness for you. Be amazed that he loves you so strongly. The pull of the world is overcome by the power of God. 
He delivers. And please see in this reality that salvation does not come by human hands, but by that heavenly hand. It is certainly not Lot's merit that saves him. It is God's mercy. If it were not for the Lord and His love for you, you would not leave the world. Praise God that the Lord was merciful to Lot. Praise God that He has been merciful to you. He set Lot outside the dangers of judgment. And through Jesus, He has set you outside the dangers of judgment. He delivered Lot. He delivered you. In light of your deliverance, what should you do? Christian, in light of your deliverance, what should you do? Everything he tells you to do, right? In verse 17, the angels tell Lot to run for the hills. And that's exactly what he should do. Flee the corruptions and the condemnations of the world. The angels also give Lot specific instruction not to look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Once again, that phrase, lest you be swept away, emerges, reminding us of Abraham's intercession, his mediation. What does Lot do with this instruction? He beholds the kindness of God, setting him outside the dangers of judgment. And then he barters and bargains with God to preserve a city. Verse 19, he recognizes he's found favor in the sight of the Lord. He's known the Lord's great loving kindness. The city's wicked deeds were great, verse 13. But he recognizes his salvation was great, verse 19. And then he barters and bargains with God. He recognizes his life has been saved. Then he he says, I, I can't do what you command. Beloved, all that God commands you to do, he will give you the grace to do. All that God commands you to do, he will give you the grace to do. Lot doesn't think he can make it to the hills, but he could with God's help. We ought not think that we are wiser than God and say, you know what, this might just be a better plan. This city over here. The hills where, where Lot could find refuge. And the Lord told him so. But here he is, bartering and bargaining for a city nearby. You would think that Lot is trying the patience of the Lord with this request. How often do we try the patience of the Lord with our requests? What is amazing is that this request from Lot not only spares his life, but it spares that little city of Zoar. That's why it's called Zoar. It's a little city. That city was destined for destruction, and yet because of Lot's request and the Lord's patience, the city was spared. The Lord is amazingly merciful. Often it's supposed that the Lord is totally consumed with judgment. But beloved, in delivering Lot and in delivering this city, we can also see that the Lord is full of mercy and ready to answer the prayers of His people. He's willing to grant requests to be merciful to others. Now, I do not want you to test the patience of the Lord or try His patience. But I do want to encourage you to plead for others around you. The Lord is merciful. He's willing to delay and divert His judgment so that many will be saved. Plead for those who are destined for destruction. Abraham did it in Genesis 18. Lot does it here. You might think to yourself, but I, I'm too filled with sin to plead for a city's pardon or my neighbor's pardon. But beloved, consider Lot. I mean, the Lord does not answer the prayers of the perfect he answers the prayers of his sinful, fallen, and flawed people. People like you and me. If you have known the blessings of salvation in Jesus Christ, then plead with God for the salvation of others. And bring the blessings of salvation with you. Right When Lot arrives to that city, he's bringing the blessing of salvation in many ways. The Lord's going to spare that city because he's there. 
Now, a sharp transition emerges there in verse 24. That then lands with a thud. It announces the opening of the heavens. The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. In every way, Moses is trying to say, this is coming from the Lord. And we're told of the comprehensive nature of God's judgment. Look at how the word all appears in verse 25. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Judgment was comprehensive and complete. The Lord made what was previously a habitable and beautiful and enticing place totally uninhabitable and uninhabited. In Genesis 13.10, we were told that the valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. But now all the people were gone and all the vegetation was gone. The description of God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah mirrors the description of the Lord's judgment on the, in the flood, but to a more localized degree. And what you need to recognize is that this is an infinitesimally small picture of what God's judgment will be like on the last day. This is a small picture of what God's judgment will be like on the last day. The book of 2 Peter describes it like this. The world, the heavens, and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, Peter says. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The universe will experience the coming judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lot had a place to run. On that day, there will not be a place to run. No one will escape the wrath of God on that day. Only those who have hidden themselves in the Lord Jesus Christ will be spared. Throughout the scriptures, like the flood, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah are used to picture God's final judgment on a small scale. And if verse 25 recounts the judgment of many, verse 26 recounts the judgment of one. Against the instructions of the angel, Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. We might be tempted to pass by this verse and simply note our sadness, her disobedience. But our Lord Jesus actually specially called this out to his disciples' attention. Earlier in the service we read it in Luke chapter 17 verse 32 where Jesus, in three words, in a single verse, simply said, remember Lot's wife. Why? Because he knew the pull of the love of the world that his disciples might be tempted to. Jesus, he's in the midst of teaching about the final and coming judgment. He was explaining that it would be swift and sudden like Sodom and Gomorrah. But worse, because the consequences were eternal. Jesus wanted his disciples to learn this lesson from Lot's wife. He doesn't want us to forget her. She was so near to salvation. She was so near to Zoar. And she looked back. Her sin seemed so small. She only looked back. Why highlight this woman? Because she did not trust and because she did not obey. 
Would God really judge Sodom? Just take a look back and see if that's really happening. You don't really trust that God says what he's going to do. Just look back. Her one little look revealed that she did not trust and she did not obey. Her one little look revealed the truth of James 4.4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Her one little look revealed the truth of 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love of God was not in her heart. The promise of salvation was just offered to Lot and his family. A place of refuge was just secured. Brimstone was raining down. She did not believe the promise of salvation and safety. Instead, she longed to be back in Sodom. That's where her heart was. Beloved, judgment is coming. A judgment that is final. A judgment that is fixed. A judgment that is full. A judgment that is forever. It's coming. And in Matthew 10, 15, Jesus told those listening to him that if they did not believe him, that it would be worse for them on the day of judgment than it was on the day fire rained down on Sodom. Why? Because they knew more of God's grace revealed to them with the Savior standing right there. It will be worse for us on the day of judgment than the people of Sodom. If we, having heard the Savior proclaim that He offers His life, that He sacrificed Himself and died on the cross, that He was raised from the grave, if we reject Him and His offer of mercy to us, then it was for the people of Sodom. Do not rebel against the Lord. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart, but receive the mercy that's offered to you in Jesus Christ. He lived for you the righteous life that you have not lived. He died for you, bearing God's eternal wrath on the cross. That final judgment came forward in time and was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for all of His people. Jesus bore it for you. And Jesus on the third day was raised from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins. So friend, turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation comes through Him. Do not be like Lot's wife. Knowing full well that salvation is available. Knowing full well that judgment is coming. Don't look back. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe. Rest your whole hope on the truth that Jesus is your great mediator. That mercy is found in Him. The whole scene of Sodom's judgment comes to a close there in verses 27 to 29. And as it does, we don't find Lot weeping over his wife. Though I'm sure he did. We don't find Lot looking back. We find Abraham emerging suddenly and looking out on the destruction. Abraham returns to that place where he pled for the righteous in the city, begged the Lord. And what do we see? He sees smoke billowing up like a furnace. He knows that a holy God cannot let sins go unpunished. Would the Lord be just? Yes. And would the Lord preserve those Abraham pled for? Would he be merciful? Yes. Notice the connection between God, Abraham, and Lot there in verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. 
when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Three words in verse 29 are key. God remembered Abraham. That's why Lot was spared. Lot was spared because God remembered Abraham. Salvation comes through God and His mediator to you, not because of you. Lot knows the blessing of salvation because another has pled for him. Lot was not spared because he was perfectly righteous. He wasn't. Lot was spared because God remembered Abraham, the one through whom blessing comes. Lot was not spared because he perfectly obeyed the angels. He didn't. He lingered and he bartered. Lot was spared because God remembered Abraham, the one who mediates blessing. The idea of God remembering is connected to the idea of God keeping His promises and acting in light of them. He kept His promise to Abraham in the midst of Abraham's mediation, and He acted in light of it. He saved and rescued Lot. The reason anyone is delivered from destruction is because they have a mediator that God accepts and answers. And friend, you need to know that Jesus is your mediator. You need to believe that Jesus is your mediator. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for his people in his high priestly prayer. And he prayed for the perfect preservation of his people. And not one of them will be lost. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, the apostle John tells us that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is our mediator, advocating for us, his blood for us. In Hebrews 7.25, we learn that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Do you think that you are far off from God? Maybe. It doesn't matter how far you are. Jesus can bring you back in and save you from judgment. He always lives to make intercession. Friend, Jesus is the mediator that you need. Believe that Jesus has pled for you. I love the way that John Wesley put it in his great hymn, Arise, My Soul, Arise. He talked about how Christ appears before the throne of God for us. He wrote, five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive they cry. And then Wesley goes on in his hymn. What is God the Father actually going to do with the pleading of the Son's wounds for the Son's people? The Father hears him pray. His dear anointed one. He cannot turn away from the presence of his son. The father will hear the prayers of his son for you. The father will hear the pleas of Christ for you. Just as God remembered Abraham and saved Lot. So if you belong to Jesus, God the father will remember the mediation of his son. Answer his cry for forgiveness and show you mercy. Now there's one final lesson that our text teaches us. And it comes to us in something of a gut punch, honestly. In Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 to 38, we learn the negative lesson of deliverance. Here we see Lot sin grievously. And the lesson the text teaches us is that God's deliverance should make a difference in our lives. Follow along as I read Genesis 19, verses 30 to 38. Now Lot went up out of Zoar. And lived in the hills with his two daughters. For he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. There is not a man on earth to come in after us, after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. 
So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. These verses are filled with fear, failure, future difficulty, and future hope. In verse 30, we find Lot in a cave cowering in fear. He pled for the salvation of that city. And God was gracious to spare that city. But remember, the citizens of that city were like the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were pursuing some of the same sins as the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. Perhaps Lot's fear of that city being judged was resting upon him. Perhaps he was not believing the promise of God that he would spare that city. Whatever the case may be, his fear has led him to cram himself into a cave with his daughters. Whatever, uh, Lot has um, learned really the wrong lesson of his deliverance. Psalm 130 verse 4 teaches us that there is forgiveness with the Lord that he may be feared. Not fear in fearing his anger and fearing his wrath, but loving him reverentially and honoring him, serving him. That's what true fear brings. It brings freedom and joy in the Lord. But Lot is exhibiting the wrong kind of fear. And such fear has consequences. He made an unwise decision of where to live the first time. And he makes an unwise choice of where to live again. Isolating himself and his daughters in that cave. What he should have done actually is drawn near to Abraham. The one who brings blessing to those who honor and bless him. But instead he withdraws. Sin follows you, you need to realize, from the city to the country and into the cave. Running away does not redeem or relieve you from sin. Because you're a sinner, you take your sin with you everywhere you go. Isolated in that cave, Lot's daughters, they hatch this sinful plan to continue their father's lineage. Notice their reasoning in verse 31. Why do it? There's, he's old. There's not a man on earth to come into us. What? After the manner of all the earth. They want to live just like the world. As that has often been said in one way or another. Though they have been removed from Sodom. The sexual sins of Sodom have not been removed from them. This plan is an explicit violation of the law of God. In Leviticus chapter 18 verse 7. Which says you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father. In fact, one of the chief reasons why this is prohibited in Leviticus 18 is because this is how the nations lived. And God's people were to be different. Israel was not to live in this way. At the end of a long string of laws against sexual immorality, Moses says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 25, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all of these, the nations that I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. Sadly, these daughters of Lot wanted to live just like the world. 
Sadly, this story parallels the story of Noah after the judgment of the flood. Like Noah, Lot gets drunk and sexual sin unfolds. And ironically, the sin that Lot offered to the men of Sodom, he commits with his daughters. The deliverance of Lot and his daughters from destruction should have made a difference in how they lived before the Lord. They should not have lived like the world they were delivered from. Their deliverance should have made a difference. And the story concludes by telling us of newborns and names and nations. Two sons will bring about two nations in their time. And while they will be related to Israel, they also bring difficulty to Israel. In Numbers, the Moabites not only hire Balaam to curse the people of Israel, but they also lure many of the sons of Israel into sexual immorality and the worship of Baal Peor. The spot of hope is that we find these Moabites of whom Ruth comes from of whom is a part of our Savior's line. There is hope for the nations, even the nations who sin like this. More immediately, the people of Israel are going to face troubles from these nations, from inside and from outside, as they try to make their way to the promised land of heaven. They're being told of the origins of these nations and of the sins that they might tempt the people of Israel with on their way. Remember, this book has an original audience the people of Israel standing outside and preparing and making their way to the promised land of Canaan, receiving this law. They have heard this story and remembered, we, the people of Israel, we are a people who have been delivered from judgment in Egypt. The angel of death could have just as easily bereaved our homes with judgment. We were delivered by God's mercy through a mediator, Moses. When we worshipped that golden calf, God said he was going to come and destroy us. And what did Moses do? He pled for us. We could have just as easily been destroyed. In light of our deliverance, we should live differently than the nations who are being judged. In light of our deliverance, we should live differently than the nations who are close to us, the Moabites and the Ammonites. God remembered His covenant with Abraham and delivered them from Egypt. God remembered the mediation of Moses and delivered them from destruction. They should have seen in law a negative lesson. They were called to be a light to the world, not live like the world. And beloved, the same should be true for us. This is what I want us to think about as we conclude. The mercy of the Lord secures your deliverance from destruction. And it should make a difference in your devotion to the Lord. Lot was delivered from judgment. And that deliverance should make a difference in his life. The people of Israel were delivered. That should have made a deliverance. If you're a Christian, then Jesus has delivered you from final judgment. And that should make a difference, a visible, notable difference in your life. You should be a shining light in the darkness, even if you're the only one. Ivan Provorov was different. The only one who was different. He was the only member of the Philadelphia Flyers who did not wear a pride jersey. It cost him. There have been calls to financially punish him. Others have urged him to leave the country, to return home to his native land. Some have even hoped that he would be shipped off to war. He has faced the scorn of the world for being different. If the prospect of such rejection and reviling frightens you, then remember that the judgment of Sodom. Remember the judgment of Sodom. More than that, remember On the cross, Christ took the judgment of God's wrath against your sin. Remember that He has delivered you from the final judgment. 
You can face the temporal judgment of the world because you will not face the final judgment of God. The Lord has been merciful to you. So stand and offer his mercy to others. Keep your conduct among this world honorable so that when they speak against you as an evildoer, like they did Ivan Provorov, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Yes, there was judgment on Sodom, but God showed his mercy to Lot. Yes, there will be judgment on the world, but God's mercy is available in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Place your whole hope in him and live for him. That will make you different. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are those who deserve to face your wrath. What a wonder it is that you have spared us from that wrath because of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to live joyful lives for the glory of your name, all because of what Christ has done for us. Father, remind us of what our sins deserve and remind us of how we've been delivered. Give us an ongoing and overwhelming delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.